Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today and want to give a very warm welcome to Leonard Kim. Leonard is the managing partner of Influence Tree, a full-stack digital marketing firm, and is a personal branding expert who has won numerous awards for his work. He is also the author of Ditch the Act, Revealing the Power of the Real You for Greater Success, and his TEDx talk, Why You Should Let Your Fears Guide You, has been internationally recognized as one of the best TEDx talks by Forbes, Inc., and Mashable. Today, Leonard and I are going to be chatting about digital marketing and personal branding. We'll learn what works from Leonard's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses and people just miss the mark. Leonard, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, Cece. Well, I am delighted because I love talking digital marketing, and I really like talking about personal brands because I think that means so much today, and you can't actually go into it enough to help have people understand that importance of a business now. But what I'd love to do is start off having you share how you got to here today. What's your history? What what was your path to the now? So in life, I try like a lot of things. Uh, like um, if you watch the Ronnie Ching special uh, on Netflix, he kind of talks about how like Asians are like obsessed with money and they want to try to figure out how to make a lot of it. So I spent most of my life trying to figure that out. And I tried a lot of different things, some at the wrong time. Like in 2008, I tried doing real estate and the whole market crashed. And I'm like, oh, you know what? that kind of sucks. Uh, after that, I was like, um, I heard you can make a lot of money in the stock market. If real estate's not it, maybe I'll go try that. So I went and did that. And about three months later, that company crashed too. And I started doing like uh, working at a few different startups doing digital marketing, but they were like underfunded or they all, they didn't have, they put too much on payroll and like things outside of con- our control kind of made those things fail. So I was like, what? Well, why can't I get a job in marketing? This is so hard for me to get. Is it because I don't have a degree? Like, what is it? So for a temporary amount of time, I ended up like kind of losing everything I had. I didn't pay my electricity bill for about six months. I was showering in the dark. I had to go to the hallway to plug in my phone into the charger of the apartment complex just to get a charge because I'm like, I have no money. I don't know what to do. And I was at a place of like complete defeat where I was absolutely clueless of what to do. So um, I eventually got evicted. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I called my mom and she's like, call grandma. I'm like, but she disowned me when I was 16. She's not going to take care of me. She, she actually calls me and she starts crying. She picks me up, takes me in, lets me stay at her place. For about two months, I'm just there like relaxing, getting all the drama on my system. And then she yells at me and she's like, go get a job. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm, I'm living the best life. So, um, uh, I, I don't know, Asian grandparents are kind of like that tiger parent. So it's kind of scary when they yell at you. So I took the first job I could, which was the first job that responded to me on Craigslist. Um, it was a company that sold a $50 membership that gave you happy hour pricing all day. And we never actually launched the product because we didn't have enough funding. We signed up a ton of vendors, but in the whole time I was there, um, six to nine months, I made like $26 or $2,900 total. So it was like 300 bucks a month. I was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep freeloading off my grandma. I need to move back to LA. 
So I uh, applied a lot of places, didn't get any callbacks. I just hit up my friend Denise. I'm like, hey, can you just hire me at your job? I don't really care what I do. So she <laughs> hires me and um, I'm working at American Honda as a contractor, not as a full-time employee. So I get paid $16.24 an hour. You lived in LA, you know, mm -hmm. that's absolutely unreasonable to live on. So I was taking like public transportation for like five hours a day back and forth from work to go to a job I absolutely hated. And the crazy thing was like, um, I kept trying to get promotions and trying to move up and trying to get a raise. And even my friend who hired me, who was like the top person at the, uh, the top person at the, uh, what's it called? The small company that's a, that runs under the bigger company. The not parent company. Yeah, exactly. uh, okay. <laughs> Um, so she was like the big boss there and she was like, you have to hire him, you have to promote him, you have to promote him. And they just didn't give me promotions. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how I was performing, but after like three years, they finally digitized and put in all the systems to go and track like how well people were performing. Mm -hmm. And I was at like the top at like two times everyone else. I'm like, what the hell? And, and then all they gave me was like a certificate, but I watched like 50 people get promoted before me. I'm like, okay, so if you put your head down and work, it doesn't work. Yeah. If, you, if you go and do what people tell you to do, it absolutely doesn't work because my numbers were twice as high as everyone else, but everyone else got promoted. All I got was a piece of paper. And um, after that, like, I decreased my, I was so angry. I decreased my work percentage by 20%. That was still number one. So I decreased it by 20% again and 20% again, then 20% again, two more times until I finally got down to number two. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That uh, is quite the story. And that shows you a lot of insight into businesses actually, but you, you have an upside on all of that. Yeah. So, and so I was working at American Honda from 2011 to 2015. Mm -hmm. In 2013, I, I realized that my new dream of earning $50,000, $60,000 a year as a Honda associate wasn't going to come true. And that I wasn't going to be able to retire at like a director making like 90 grand a year. I think they can actually get paid more, but I assumed that much in my head. And um, I was like, what am I going to do? So I tried applying for hundreds of jobs. I got three calls back. No one hired me. I went back to school to Glendale Community College, uh, took about 63 credits. Um, didn't finish because uh, there's math, uh, first aid, and PE, but then for gym, they don't let you bring your phone to the gym, so how do you sit there for two hours and work out when you hate exercise and you have no music? It's like impossible, so I don't think I'll ever finish that degree. The third thing I tried doing is I was reading a lot of content online by my digital mentors like um, Brian Clark, who's a copywriter, Neil Patel, who I actually went to high school with. And we both had a first, our first jobs were both at Knott's Berry Farm picking up trash. It's so weird. <laughs> it's like so similar and everything. And then the next thing that happened was um, I was reading James Altucher's content and I was like, wow, this guy is so much like me, except for he lost a lot more and made a lot more money than I did. And in a lot of his content, he's like, just go try something, go do it, go do it, go do it. So after a month of reading it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and market myself now. <laughs> but then um, I had like no, no like big accolades or like monuments to kind of stand on because like I failed my whole life. I'm like, mm, maybe I'll just share. So like so one time someone told me, um, no one is absolutely useless. You can always serve as a bad example. Um, okay. 
You, so you can always set serve as the low totem pole bar. That that's quite. <laughs> that's kind of stuck with me. I'm like, maybe I'll just talk about all my failures and everything not to do in life to see what works. And then, um, like, I asked my friends if I should do it. They're like, you're going to be completely unemployable. No one's ever going to hire you ever in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, within six months of writing, I had two million reads on my content. I was making friends with like McKinsey folk, with like yeah. uh, with like lawyers and like all these venture capitalists and like all these other people. I'm like, what just happened? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like making friends with everyone. In a year and a half, it turned into 10 million reads um, <laughs> and about 20,000 followers at the time. Um, so around that time, in 2013, I built a personal brand website and started uh, my own site and everything. And I started um, syndicating my content and everything into multiple places. And when I first started doing that, like I got offered like 200 bucks to write something. I'm like 200 bucks, I make 16, 24 an hour. This is great. Then eventually it became 500 and it became like a thousand and it became like 5,000. Like hours to make five thousand dollars this is amazing <laughs> then um it grew to the level where i do like six to seven figure contracts and stuff like that and mm -hmm. like, it's like you know it all just changed and i'm like wow that was pretty cool um on the personal brand uh forefront though like um like to be kind of like blunt and transparent is mm -hmm. i've been like writing on the coattails of my success from like 2014 and it's kind of like accelerated all the way up to today and just by riding on the coattails of my success, it's led to me previously writing at Inc. Magazine, Huffington Post, and Entrepreneur, to me being featured in over 300 media uh, publications, fast mm -hmm. companies, Fortune, blah, 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 blah. And um, somehow led to a book deal too. Like um, I, I didn't really do much. Like I said at the foundation, and the foundation kind of like propelled me through and it kind of became weird because instead of going out there and like hunting for business, it was like businesses came to me and opportunities just came to me and they're like, here's like the golden spoon. Here you go. Everything you want is yours. I'm like, you know who I am? <laughs> and it was like the weirdest thing that happened, but um, I'm completely appreciative of what happened. And I documented like the interesting thing is like writing the book it was the most debilitating six months of my life because uh, it took so much out of me to go and organize and structure and exactly define the exact processes of exactly what it is I do and make it duplicatable plus mm -hmm. uh, plus it's not fun to make like a dollar from something <laughs> and um like from the whole entire process like um I got so burned out it caused me to take a two and a half year hiatus from writing because like I put so much time and effort and energy and my blood sweat and tears into that project and about 20 grand too that um I was just so jaded by the project that I didn't want to promote it when it came out like I just barely started promoting the book recently uh, and kind of worked through those internal struggles with uh the book so you have done a successful job at failing up, basically. That's a long and and celebrating your failures and being relatable to people because you are open and you share and you're not guarded and you're transparent and you're like, this is my shit and this is it. This is who I am. 
so be it, right? But you've also been very driven in everything you've done, except for maybe, you know, not promoting the book until now. Uh, so what was the turning point? I mean, I, I get your grandmother wanted you to get a job and I get that, you know, you went out, you found a job and you were going to conquer it. But before that, you were already like, you were crazily successful at your company. It just wasn't recognized, right? So you've always been the same person, same hard worker, and somehow harnessed the ability to overproduce um, in ways that you found success. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say I was like the best at the time. Like uh, mm -hmm. when I was doing marketing at the smaller companies, it was probably uh, where I am now, probably in comparison, like in between the beginner to intermediate level, mm -hmm. which is pretty good. Like most companies have beginner to intermediate level people like run everything. Yeah. And um, you don't have to be absolutely amazing at marketing to really make it work. Like you can be at those levels and make something phenomenal. Um, so be but consistent in what you're doing typically. Um, so I think the work ethic kind of came from my mom because like she's lived through a crazy life and she's been like tossed down so many times, but then she has that ump where she's like, I gotta go work and I gotta keep doing and I got, gotta keep going forward. Like in 2001, when 9-11 uh, happened, like her small business at the swap meet started to fail and she was making like eight grand a month from like bartending in the swap meet, which uh, I don't know how she made that, but. Pretty good. You knew that many, many people <laughs> drank at swap meets, but I guess you would probably buy a lot more at a swap meet if you were a little drunk. Yeah. So I, I, guess, I guess somehow like she made that solid money but then like after 9-11 happened like George Bush would be on TV saying save your money save your money save your money and a lot of uh people stopped going out and filling the economy so um, the swap meet ended up getting like one-fourth the customers things fell apart and we ended up like selling all our furniture in our one-bedroom apartment had two cars repossessed um was eating like rice egg and like soy sauce once a day sometimes with the sriracha and um, it was uh, like just watching her work. It was like, you just have to work in life. It's like something you have to do, I guess. <laughs> well, I think that in life you have to keep moving and you have to keep growing and you have to keep doing or you die. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the alternative. Either you're moving, it's just energy. Any energy has to keep moving or energy at rest is basically death. And yeah, so your mom had that to big degrees or still does. I agree with that. But one thing that I found out is like in those downtimes, like I'll usually take like a three month break, a six month mm -hmm. break, or like maybe like a year break. Like um, I, I make good money now, but then I have people like working for me for the stuff that currently exists. So I, I've been like chilling like this whole year, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> kind of went through a divorce process too that was extremely debilitating. But like when you take time to like step back and stop and actually think about things, you're like, whoa, like you kind of get to that next level of where you're at the next time around, uh, next time you go around to do things because you widen your perspective and you get time to really capture the bigger picture. And, and I, I totally agree with that. I think what I mean by energy, stop growing. And if you stop seeking improvement, yeah, I guess, I, I because that. even your downtimes in life, you're opening yourself up to the universe to have improvement be enlightened to you, right? To like calm your mind enough to be able to be receptive to what you've actually been doing. And probably by doing what you do, you're probably more in tune 
than most people because you allow yourself that silence. Yeah, and I think because I was like working like the year before I was working like 80 hour weeks. So I was kind of up there in the schedule. Um, I think the growing for me was more going on a hike, being in nature, going to the beach and like kind of like refreshing the soul and getting all the toxicity out of the system. <laughs> Reconnecting with yourself. Exactly. But you're still moving. You're still, there's still energy there. It's not like you're like, laying in bed as a sodden lump never to be emerging again in the days of when you were at your grandmother's. <laughs> so personal branding, you are a brand, obviously. You have a great personality. You have a fun story. You tell it in a good way. You have had people say that, you know, obviously they've honored you with how well you perform at showcasing and sharing really who you are. It's about our personal brand. What do you see that people do that are mistakes with their own personal brands? So I think the biggest mistake that people make is they'll look at someone like a Tony Robbins or Gabby Bernstein, who's like 10 to 20 years in their career, and they'll try to duplicate what they're doing that exact day for their content. Mm -hmm. But you have to go and start at step one. You have to build your foundational elements first. Like they could say what they say because they did that 10, 20 years ago, and then they grew their audience. And then now they could say simple, clarified messages, and people have that brand affinity with them where they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But then you have to build and establish all that first and a lot of people jump straight to step 10 and miss out on step one like I've really found that there's an exact step-by-step -step process that you need to follow to go out there and build a personal brand the right way so it's not only immutable but it lasts through the test of time like for example in the last year I've created zero pieces of content year and a half maybe uh, under myself personally I, I did it for clients but not for myself mm -hmm. um I've had about a hundred business leads come in in the last year alone because of the historical content that you paved the way for I mean our agency we started vlogging back in 2012 and it was painful a painful painful process to learn how to write um but you know we did one blog a week then two then three then four and you know now we're consistent and have been since 2012 with all things that are in our niche about pop culture and we have you know over 30,000 readers on a monthly basis. I'm sure it could be a lot more if we actually dialed in and figured out all things digital marketing. That's not actually our expertise as a marketing agency, but we get clients from it and they find us on Google and we've established expertise. And it's something that when we talk to brands who have found us, they are already sold in on at least a little bit of us. It's a lot less hard and it's easier to differentiate ourselves from competition. And yeah. that's what you're talking about with Tony Robbins and everyone else where they have gone through that, they have built that foundation and then they're just continuously to polish it and maybe enlarge it and expand, but they still have all that historical information that's back there. And it's why you don't have to write necessarily anymore because your content still serves up today versus if you just paid to do sponsored advertising somewhere that would have been spending that time, that money, and it'd be gone in a blip. Exactly. And that brings up the second mistake that people make. And a lot of people 
build, oh, I gotta build my brand on Instagram. I gotta build my brand on TikTok. So how social media platforms work is they're designed to keep you on the network for as long as possible. They don't want you to leave. So everything that you build on platform is designed to mostly stay on platform. So a lot of people don't do what you just mentioned, like build a blog, build a content, build a website, build, <clears throat> build the thought leadership, build the expertise. And like, if you really want to go out there and win, you think of a Google first strategy as opposed to a social first strategy, because what's the biggest company? It's Google. What do people do the most? Search for things. If you have the search functionality down, then you automatically win the social functions too, because it all kind of trickles down from there. And I loved it when Google had Google Plus for a little while. Like that was the best hidden secret social media B2B platform, like known under the sun, because we would take our same content that we would post on Facebook and bring it over to Google Plus. And then we'd be listed first page in searches because Google prioritized their social posts. They don't look and search Facebook, as Leonard was just saying. They don't look and search Instagram or TikTok. They're not serving up that other content, but Man, that was such a nice little thing they had that got underutilized by all before it was crashed and burned. Nice. One thing that Google started utilizing after they stopped doing the Google Plus is Twitter, though, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. They'll put some tweets up in there. Um, YouTube's really big for it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd say another mistake that people make, which um, there's this huge assumption out there that um, if you put the same piece of content in two different places, you'll get dinged for SEO. Like, it's like this huge rumor and everyone's like, don't ever do it. It's going to ruin you. And I'm like, I've done that for all my content. I put it into every single place. I copy pasted my The content. same. You copy paste everything. So whether it's, so you're not worried about hierarchy of your page having less clout than Medium or less clout than LinkedIn or less clout than all these other places. And it still works. So the reason you do that is because you want you want to post it on Google first, so it mm -hmm. sees that it got it first, but you could post like 30 seconds after on the second platform. It doesn't really matter. Okay. It could be a minute, but as long as it's first on the website, the website's usually going to rank first. Yeah. Um, when you post it onto the other platforms, you get their internal audiences. So if you post on Medium, you get the publications audience, or if you post on Quora, you get the followers of the topics uh, audience, or if you post on LinkedIn, you get LinkedIn's audience. And what you want to do is you want to make sure that no matter where the, you know your content is signature content and it's gonna probably move the needle. So you want to make sure that they consume the content no matter where they are. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't affect SEO either. Another example is I worked at Keck Medicine at the University of Southern California for about four years. Um, we, we tested this there with, a, so Keck Medicine is like a, not a well-known brand, but USC is. So I started working there about five years into the renaming of the company, which came from a donor. And people were like, Keck, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? So over four years, we had to run brand campaigns and kind of get people to recognize who we were. And in my role there, it was mostly digital. And um, my boss did something extremely interesting, something I've never seen any boss ever do at a company before. It's like, hey, um, go examine everything we're doing, look around, talk to people, don't tell them you're going to do anything at all, but just collect all the information you can. And in three months, make a strategy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I uh, was like, okay, we should make a blog. We should do this. We should do that. Mm -hmm. And um, 
he's like, yeah, we're just doing this for fun. We'll see where it goes. It's probably not going to work, <laughs> right? And, and like one day, like when we started creating content, like our stuff would show up on like page 16 of Google. And we syndicated the content onto Quora too, so it was in two different places. Um, but then as like two and a half years went by, it's like one article on first page, second article on first page. Then all our content started move, moving up to the first page of Google. And we went from 90,000 page views a month to 450,000 page views a month. Um, our social grew from 10,000 to about 250,000. Um, the revenue in the company actually went from 900 million to over a billion, not all from my efforts. We had an agency who we worked with too. Um, they made a few mistakes that were interesting too, that were kind of weird, but. Um, Agencies make mistakes. Come on. <laughs> like, um, like, you know, the value of SEO, right? I think I do. I think it's helped our, my agency make millions of dollars through lovely inbound and Google. Google's my friend. So on like the location page on the native website, that's one of your most important pages because if you're a destination, it shows you exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. So what the ad agency would do is they wouldn't modify and mock up the existing WordPress uh, location page. Instead, they'll use a third-party vendor and create a fancy design landing page mm -hmm. and send ad dollars to that landing page. However, if they made that WordPress page look exactly the same as the uh, template page, which is absolutely doable, um, and you sent the ad dollars to the location page, your location page gets more clicks, it gets more view times, it gets more page visitors, it gets more priority. Google sees all the clicks, so it higher prioritizes. It ranks you higher because it's like you're you're delivering to the kitty of Google. It's happy. Yeah, but then you're going to a no link, no follow page that's on the either like off the web yeah. and whatever. <laughs> uh, um, that's not the right thing to do, but um, yeah, you do what you do. <laughs> okay, so they had a gated page that was not, um, it, it, it was not indexed by Google is what you're saying. And so everyone that they were driving to it through their Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, paid banner ads, how whatever have you that they were getting people there, it was like they weren't really being driven. Google wasn't counting that and seeing how popular they actually were. And Google likes rewarding on popularity and an example, pushing them up. An example, I don't remember the specific name of the company we used because mm -hmm. I didn't really pay attention to it because I'm like, this doesn't work. Why should I pay attention? Um, <clears throat> it's like using click funnels as opposed to wordpress like google doesn't index click funnel pages so yeah. you build your content you make your page but if you just copy and paste that thing on wordpress you'd actually get seo results so most people who build on click funnels are stuck forced to sell or buy ads to send to their page when people who build on wordpress are able to get seo benefits and yeah. it's like weird nuances like that that a lot of people make um but you're saying you could build on ClickFunnels or you on other landing pages with content, let's just say content, and you could replicate it on other platforms, including your own and third parties to keep that life going. Yeah, like if you have a good enough UI UX person, they could rearrange the page to look exactly as it would look in mm -hmm. ClickFunnels or a different template. It's just mm -hmm. making a few modifications on the design side. What else do people do wrong? What are other mistakes? Um, I, I don't know, maybe we should go with one thing that really moved the needle um, beforehand. Like, um, like when I was working at uh, 
CACs, like what we did, one of our primary strategies was to get the expertise of the physicians and mm -hmm. put them into the articles and the videos we were creating so we could grow their personal brands. Mm -hmm. So at the enterprise level, like I went to meetings with like urology, with like neuroscience, with like um, spine, ortho, cardiovascular, mm -hmm. thoracic surgery, like all this stuff. I'm like, what is all this? I have absolutely no idea. And I'm all like making friends with like the chairs of all the departments who are like the top doctors of their class. And I'm like, so tell me about what you do. And I'm like, I don't understand. Can you explain it simpler? <laughs> and then it's basically getting all their insights and like getting mm -hmm. it down to a place where like regular people could understand. Because yeah. like a lot of the content we were creating was at like this academic level. Like you had to have like a you need a doctorate to actually understand it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't understand any of this stuff. Plus, when I did my competitive analysis, I all that I found was like stuff on WebMD that said you were gonna die if yeah. anything wrong with you so i'm like why don't we just create educational content that just tells people exactly what it is and not tell them they're going to die <laughs> and add the doctor in so that's what we did for majority of our mm -hmm. blog content we did a few doctor features to kind of talk about their personal and uh mm -hmm. physical life but the main uh meat and bones of everything was talking about specific topics like um what <clears throat> um like um what to do if he has like ed or something like that like you know like interesting topics people want to know how that's something that 50 percent of the population are concerned they could get yeah exactly yeah and one of the things that i noticed from like posting stuff like that is no one's clicking like or comment on that <laughs> so i think a lot of people no facebook feeds about ed and the fact that you're researching it and you're like this is your gung-ho topic of the moment no yeah, exactly. I mean, you click, you read, you buy, but you don't say, oh, I don't share. Exactly. You don't want any of your friends to know about that. Yeah. So um, one thing that made me realize is a lot of people look at vanity metrics. They look at likes, comments and shares as like mm -hmm. the most uh, important factors of what they're creating on social. But the when you have content like that, that's a little bit edgy and like kind of controversial it's more the clicks who's actually making the content and it's like when you start to see those numbers that's more important than what all the noise on social media is because like if i go through all the comments i've ever had on my personal profiles in my entire life um i don't think there's a single person who's paid me for uh six-figure marketing services but if i go through my inbox and my email i see names that i've never once seen on social media or anywhere and they're the ones who pay me so it's like a lot of people get like trapped in the engagement uh, phase of everything mm -hmm. i think it's interesting you know what your take was is something that pr agencies and others have been using for a very long time so especially in the medical field where you will it, it's medical field, the medical devices, the pharma industry, it's really difficult to build a warm and fuzzy around that. And so how you do that is you partner with a KOL, which is a key opinion leader or a doctor in this case, and you make them the face of your brand. And like we've done that working with medical aesthetic devices where we'll bring them in and the doctor is now the mouthpiece and he's booked on Dr. Oz or the doctors or the view or the talk. But really everything he's talking about is how awesome this thing that blasts the cellulite off your butt is, right? And so everyone's like, I want a butt blaster. I don't want cellulite, but 
he's able to be there or she's able to be there as that mouthpiece and getting across things that are very hard to educate. And you're doing the same thing with the blog writing and their stories and their insights. Yeah, and the interesting thing is the organization's over 5,000 people, and we have 650 doctors, and we have different service lines or verticals and regular companies. And a lot of people, what they do is they focus just primarily on the brand message to go out there and build stuff. But then what we did is we took the brand message, we took the verticals, the verticals, and the verticals within the verticals, and we spread that uh, we spread the uh, knowledge base out to as many of the physicians as possible. So now let's say we had like um, a surgeon like Steven Giannata, who's the guy, uh, if you've seen Grey's Anatomy, the main character mm -hmm. of that, he's the guy that it's based off of. <laughs> like um, Patrick Dempsey's character or? Yeah, Patrick Dempsey's character. Okay. So he's the exact personality of that guy. Like he's like top of his class and everything. And um, he kind of brings a halo effect to USC because USC employs people like him. They get a strong reputation. But also at the same time, the new physician like um, Eric Tan, who might be like an assistant professor, he gets the halo off of the uh, USC brand and Giannata's brand and everyone else's brand. So we put as many physicians as possible into our mix of content to spread that brand equity around and hit as many verticals as possible. One of the huge benefits that we saw that we didn't even protect, uh, predict was um, a few years ago, uh, you live in LA, you've probably seen the cover of the LA Times when the former dean was on the front page. Yeah. Like we thought that would be a catastrophe and it would completely demolish the organization. And I feel, I strongly feel that if we didn't spread, spread that brand equity around to so many different physicians, that it would have demolished the company. And it would have been something that we would have had no return from. But because we spread that equity into so many different people and invested into the personal brands of the people at a wider mm -hmm. level, it helped spread that brand equity around. So while that hit was a hit, it was mostly on the donor base and not the patient base. And your example there is, you know, that's something that smaller and mid-sized companies need to keep in mind. I mean, you're talking about a giant organization that's very well respected, you know, over 5,000 employees, but your small and mid-sized, you know, companies, agencies, corporations, a lot of times they'll focus is just the CEO, just the CEO, just the CEO. But then what happens is that founder, that CEO is in the light all the time and the company is them. And without them, the company is nothing in the eyes of others. And so for companies who are not investing in figuring out how to build the personal brand and who the company is on other levels besides invested solely in one spokesperson for them could suffer massively just because you're not building for the future of that company. Exactly. Like it's kind of crazy to even make the CEO the personal, the one personal brand. Like the CEO's role in the company is investor relations like it's not to build the company it's to go and fundraise so that person gets stuck into the forefront and has to do all this other busy work when in reality if you have like a vp over here a director over here a manager over here a frontline employee over here going and spreading their messaging in the way that they feel best that matches their personality you get your brand equity spread around by your biggest assets in your organization which are your employees most people think it's the customers but it's really their employees because they have the vested interest they get paid by you they want to go and see you shine <laughs> 
And if you're doing it well, you're helping the shape the employees understanding of how your company is and what your messaging is. And it's rubbing off onto them and becoming part of their ethos. So what they're sharing, what they're talking becomes an extension of the company versus them in a silo um, in operations. Yeah, so like one thing that we did as a, as a marketing organization is we kind of took that team approach to everything. Like we discussed things, we grouped together, we came up with ideas together and we made it a team effort as opposed to just having like one person go and like making everything. Like, and I think that process of getting the buy-in from the organization is a little bit difficult because most ambitious people, what they do is they go in and they go, hey, let's call a meeting and something like that. No one wants to talk to them (laughs) because they're like, this person's just going to make me do more work. But then usually to actually go and get the buy-in, it's like, hey, can I ask you a question? Like, what do you think about this? And then like, you kind of like, say something interesting and get them to think about it and open up and you start a conversation, you slowly get buy-in from one person to the next, to the next. And the next thing you know, everyone's like helping you with your work. And you're like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> I don't have to do it all myself. Yeah, you're basically using the strategy of selling in someone to be on your team um, when you're actually operating how you're talking about, where you are getting support and you're creating a scenario where you actually have people lifting you up pushing in the same direction because you took the time to make sure that they bought in that buy-in to what you're selling and that they see the benefit for themselves too. And it's a lot easier than going in and everyone being like, I don't want another software thing. I don't want to have to do another thing because they don't see the objective either. So like one person, um, she, uh, her name's Ashley Wysong. Uh, she's a dermatologist. Uh, she was like on top of working with the PR department, like she'd respond to their requests like instantaneously. She's like, yeah, I'm available for the call. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. And she took every single opportunity she could. Like just those media features got her from like an assistant posi- professor role to a chair role at a different uh, academic medical yeah. center. Like that's a huge jump. Just by saying, okay, I'm available. I want to participate. And well- That's a fear, though, that companies have at the same time because she took a chair at another company, right? So a lot of companies are fearful uh, that they build their individual team members that they will go and leave them. How do you address that? So what we did is we worked with whoever would talk to us and respond because most doctors are cocky, arrogant, and just like, I don't want to do this stuff. But then there's a lot of people who are like, oh, what? You could actually get this from doing it? We just work with the people who wanted to do it. And because we spread it across so many people, like it it didn't matter if one left because we still had huge investments in other other people. So when one person left, it wasn't like completely detrimental to the business where it would make a whole department fail. It would like be like um, maybe like a 2% decrease in like revenue because we had our brand equity spread around so much. And if someone did leave, like the other dermatologist knows exactly the same stuff that the other person did. We'd be like, okay, we have this existing article. Do you want to take ownership or change anything in this? And they'll be like, okay, sure. <laughs> so it was really easy to hand over the uh, the uh, helms like when someone left because we would just mm-hmm. take down the content anyway if they left because um, they're just not part of the organization anymore. And that was just one of the policies that we had which kind of makes sense. You don't want someone thinking that a doctor still works at your organization when they don't. Okay, that's an interesting one. I was going to say, yeah, see how you handled um, also. Well, we had three sides. We had the clinical side and we had Mm -hmm. the academic side. On the Mm -hmm. academic side, it would like live, but on the clinical side, 
like that's where patients actually come in so that totally makes sense with um, the other thing that helps with that whole buy-in when people are either producing the content or starring in the content they are awfully for some strange reason more likely to share that content versus it just being some boilerplate something that they're like oh the company's pushing this out i'm supposed to share this across my social no, they'd rather spread it across their social and spread it through their friend networks and have their mom chime in that they're so proud of them versus being like, oh, here's disconnected content. Yeah, whatever. I'll share that out. Yeah, like one time we did like Nurses Week and featured the nurse and like that post got like a thousand likes on LinkedIn because everyone, yeah. like, yay! And it's kind of crazy because like people want to cheer on their colleagues and they love them. And nurses are a lot more lovable than doctors. <laughs> Sometimes, yes, yes. So I know we have to get wrapping up here shortly because I could talk to you for a long, long time. But for all those who are really enjoying listening and to your views and who have been following you, how can they learn more about you? How can they find you? Um, I have a website, leonardkim.com. Um, I'm going to start actively writing probably in about January 2022. I've been like I tested my writing like a few weeks ago and I'm like, this is like a B minus. I used to be at like a B plus. So I've been like working through the- You'll hone your skills. Yeah, I've been like re-honing my skills and I'm confident by the end of December, I'll get back to at least an A. So I'll get back to writing and it should be consistently updated. And on there is all my social links and everything else about me. So you can follow your own path and choose your own journey. <laughs> Any last words of parting advice? our listeners today um i think a lot of people want to go out there and like imitate someone else when uh they're doing things because they think that's what works but if you're just more of exactly who you are already that's what people are looking for they want to know more of you and by showcasing more of you sometimes the good sometimes the bad and sometimes even the very ugly you'll be able to drive true connection with your audience and you'll be able to make deeper connections which leads people to getting to know, like, and trust and eventually falling in love with you. And when they fall in love with you, crazy things happen. And you are a testament to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Leonard, thank you so much for joining. Really, really enjoyed listening and learning today. Thank you so much for having me, Cece. It's really been a pleasure. And thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate it. Thank you everyone again for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if you have any questions in regards to how your brand can become front and center in today's hottest TV shows, feature films, music videos, influencers, and celebrities' lives, reach out to my team and I, and we'll be happy to chat some more at Hollywood Branding. Take care. <laughs>